By now, all of you who have participated and have been here with us as we've made our way through the book of Ephesians, all of you who have been here certainly know that when we made it to the fourth chapter of this letter of Paul, we turned the corner from our position to our practice in the book of Ephesians. So after having learned of the great privilege of our position in Christ for the first three chapters of the book of Ephesians, we turned the corner in chapter four and we made our way now into what we call the section on practice. So what we're saying here, Paul says like this, based on that great privilege that you've learned about in the first three chapters, this then is how you should behave. You used to behave like everyone else in the city of Ephesus, all those who don't know God, but now that you do know God, your behavior should be different than that of everyone else. Your behavior should be different than that of those people who are around you. You should walk around as a pattern of life, as people who are humble, as people who are patient, as people who are gentle and loving with one another. That's what Paul says as he gets into chapter 4. He says you should be unique. You should be different. You see those people over there worshiping at the temple of Artemis? Don't behave like they do. On the other hand, this then is how you should behave. And then what he does is he contrasts the behaviors of the unbelieving people around the city of Ephesus, around this church, to the behaviors that he expects from the people that attend the church in Ephesus. Does that make sense? You remember all that discussion? And so then he begins to contrast behaviors that are unacceptable with behaviors that are acceptable and behaviors that are fitting of those who believe. And so the last time we were here in chapter 4, if you'll remember, Paul told us in verse 25 that we are to put away all falsehood. Do you remember that discussion? We said that Paul says we're supposed to put away all falsehood. We're supposed to put away all things that are not truth. We're supposed to put away all of the things that are like lying, exaggerating, cheating, and the falsehood of omission. We're supposed to put all of those things away. And we learned that the Bible tells us in Revelation chapter 21 that those people whose lives are characterized by those types of practices are the people who go to hell. That's what the Bible teaches about it. They're the people who don't know God. They're people who don't know God. And so today, as we come to verse 26 in chapter 4, we're just going to continue with Paul's series of instructions where he says, do you see those people over there? Do you see the way those people are behaving? Don't behave like them, rather behave like this. And so now we're in the second part of that series. So in the book of Ecclesiastes, Solomon tells us in chapter 7 and verse 9, anger resides in the lap of fools. Anger resides in the lap of fools. Think about that. It lives, anger lives in the lap of fools. It lives in the hearts of fools. Anger lives there. And as I was thinking about that, I thought if that is true, then this world has never been more foolish, has it? This world has never been more foolish than it is now. I mean, have you noticed that everyone seems to be angry? There seems to be a reason for absolutely everyone to be angry. This whole world is filled with anger. It fills the lyrics of our music. Have you ever listened to some of the lyrics of the music that's out there and heard the anger in the lyrics of the music? Anger fills the themes of our movies. It fills the themes of our television shows. It fills our video games, political debate, and elections are filled with anger. Anger fills the hallways of our schools. In fact, did you know that worldwide, 
more than 150 million students between the ages of 13 and 15 are the victims of school violence every year. 150 million students worldwide every year. Every year. And those are just the ones that have been reported. Those are just the ones who report the violence that they've experienced. Anger is absolutely everywhere in our schools. Our universities are filled with anger from the discourse of the professors to the violence of the students. Anger is everywhere on our school campuses. Parents are angry at youth sporting events. You've heard those stories. Anger is everywhere. Neighborhoods are angry with the police. Even religion is angry. Did you know that there are more religiously motivated violence that happen today than at any point in the history of the world? More religiously motivated violent events happen today than at any point in the rest of the world, in the history of the world. Everyone is angry. Everyone is angry. And many times anger will lead to violence. It displays itself in violent acts. Now, obviously that's not always the case. Fortunately, man is able from time to time to show restraint, and we're thankful for that. And I think most often... The reason that he shows restraint is because he's afraid of the repercussions, isn't he? I mean, I don't want to go to jail, so I don't give full expression to my anger when I get angry. And I think that's the reason that man often shows restraint, because he's afraid of the consequences. Think about this, though. I think, and maybe you'll agree with me, I think that if society was not restrained by the fear of repercussions, it would almost certainly give full expression to its anger. And I think that this world would be so vile you couldn't even live in it. But as angry as the world is, it's interesting to note that believers are to be angry as well. Did you know that? And so that's what I want to deal with this morning as we come to the book of Ephesians. So I'm going to take you to our verse for today. We're just going to go through two verses today, and we're going to begin in verse 26. And this is what Paul says. Paul says, be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. And I'm going to just stop right there. Doesn't this seem a little confusing to you, maybe? I mean, think about this. If Solomon says that anger resides in the lap of fools, and Paul is giving us a command here to be angry, isn't Paul telling us that we're supposed to behave like a bunch of fools? Isn't it fair to make that connection? If Solomon says anger resides in the lap of fools, and Paul says be angry, then certainly it seems reasonable for us to conclude that Paul is saying that we should behave like fools. But is that true? Of course not. He's not saying that. You see, the difference between the anger of Ecclesiastes and the anger of the book of Ephesians is found in Paul's qualifier, and we're going to see that. What does he say? He says, be angry and do what? But don't sin. Be angry, but do not sin. So anger, friends, in itself is not sinful. I want you to know that. Anger, the emotion of anger in itself is not sinful because if that were true, it would be absolutely impossible for us to be angry and not sin, right? So it is true then that anger in itself is not sinful, but anger certainly can and usually does lead us to sin and the Bible warns us against that many times. The Bible says be very, very careful about that. And so I'd like to introduce you this morning to several Greek words which are in the Bible which are translated anger. And I'm hoping that as I introduce you to those, that it will help you to kind of understand what Paul is trying to say here. So the first word I want to take you to is the Greek word parargismos. 
And this is the internal seething. It is this fuming. It is this resentment that builds up out of jealousy and out of anger and out of envy. And it just sort of sits there and it brews and it cooks and it begins to stink and it becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. And you become this ugly, moody person that's filled with all sort of bitterness. That's what this word is. And I want you to know that it's not a permitted form of anger in the New Testament. It's not a kind of anger that is tolerable. There is nowhere in the entire New Testament that you see this word used to reference a holy or a righteous anger. It's not there. And so a good way to think of this kind of anger, I want to take you to James chapter 4, and this is where you'll see it. What causes quarrels and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, and so you murder, you covet, and cannot obtain, and so you fight and you quarrel. And this is a good way for us to think of this word. I didn't get my way. I didn't get what I wanted. So now I'm just seething over it, and I'm just stewing over it, and I'm dwelling on it, and I'm rolling it over and over in my mind, and I'm fuming about it, and the anger is just growing within me. My life is being overrun now by bitterness because I'm so upset about it. Maybe I didn't get the breaks in life that all the people around me got. Maybe other people had better opportunities that I got. And so I'm just stewing and I'm seething and I'm angry over the injustice of it all. Maybe somebody treated me poorly at some point in my life, maybe even as a child, and I just can't let go of the bitterness. And so it grows and it grows in my life. And my life is filled with this kind of anger. I'm seething. And the person who usually has this kind of anger built up in their heart is usually someone that you'll see who is constantly pessimistic. They're constantly cynical in their disposition. And the next word I want to introduce you to is the word thumos. This is a really interesting word. This is a passionate rage which just boils up suddenly. It's a sudden powerful force, this thumos. This is one of those things, it's an out-of-control reaction. It's an out-of-control rage that just makes you snap. Have you ever been there? Have you ever experienced that? You know, there are just some things that make people have that kind of reaction. Do you know that? <laughs> you know, incidents of road rage are a great example of thumos. That's what it is. For whatever reason, there's just this internal trigger that gets tripped because of something you've experienced. And it just causes you to snap. It causes you to just explode. Someone pulls in front of you in traffic. Someone passes me on the right. Here's my favorite. I'm late for work and somebody is in that left lane driving about 10 miles below the speed limit. And I can just feel my blood pressure starting to rise. Anybody else? I'm confessing this to you. Does anybody else feel that way? I can just feel my blood pressure starting to rise. I can feel my temperature starting to rise. And then finally, I get so irritated that I just shout out, get out of the way, you corn cob. I've got to go. Snap. That's too most. You're all judging me, aren't you? That's Thumos. Listen, friends, maybe there are other triggers. For me, if someone in my house slams a door out of anger or rebellion or rage, Thumos is going to erupt in my heart. And I'm very likely going to have some sort of an expression that is not very godly. And for me, there are other triggers that may drive me to that kind of reaction. My family knows what most of them are. 
I would think a lot of times they enjoy testing them and seeing how long it takes dad to just explode. You know, like, like the smacking noise that people make when they eat, that one just drives me nuts. My kids are sitting at the table and they're smacking and smacking. They're looking at me trying to see how long it's going to take. That causes me to have thumos in my heart. But I want to say that I'm sure that the same is probably true of many of you, isn't it? Maybe it's not smacking. Maybe it's not somebody driving slowly in the left lane. But I'm sure the same is true of you. I'm sure the same is true of your families. Do you have those things that trigger thumos in your heart? Do you have those, young people? Maybe it's losing at a video game that causes you to have this reaction of thumos. I used to have it all the time. I would play Madden with my little brother, and when there were certain times, man, that just thumos would just erupt in my heart. Maybe it's dirty dishes in the sink. Maybe it's crumbs left on the counter. But I suspect you all have those triggers, don't you? You see, the problem with thumos is that it's something that is never, listen closely, it is something that is never allowable for the Christian. Thumos is an emotion, it is a reaction that is never permitted in the page of Scriptures. People of your position, listen closely, people of your great privilege, people of your position are not permitted to display thumos. In the pages of Scripture, this kind of anger is only used to refer to people who are unbelievers. It is only used to refer to people who are behaving sinfully. In Revelation chapter 12, John uses the word to describe Satan's behavior because he knows that he only has a short time. He knows that his time is limited before he is ultimately conquered and bound. And so he is filled with this rage and his reaction is outbursts and he just snaps. And so he is absolutely furious. And the Bible says you are not as people of your position to have that kind of reaction. Regarding this type of anger, we read in chapter 5 of the book of Galatians, now the works of the flesh are evident. Now listen to these. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, and thumos. And thumos, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned before, Paul says, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Listen, it is very clear that those people who practice thumos as a pattern of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. It is never acceptable for the Christian to display thumos. It is just as much a work of the flesh as is sexual immorality. It is just as much a work of the flesh as is sorcery, as is drunkenness, as is idolatry. If you are a believer and your life is filled with thumos, I want you to know that you are living in sinfulness. This is the kind of rage that we need to keep under control. This is the kind of rage that we need not display. Proverbs 29.11 says, A fool gives full vent to his anger, but a wise man keeps himself under control. It is the fool who displays that kind of anger. And then I'd like to introduce you to one more word, and this is the word that's found in verse 26. Verse 26 contains the Greek word orge. And we do really well to think of this as a disposition. This is important. This is a mood. This is a temperament of anger. This is the anger of conviction. So you have this deep-seated conviction in your life. You have this deep-seated 
conviction and something violates that conviction and so you become angry. You become angry over that. It sounds noble when you put it that way because we're saying that it's born out of a deep-seated conviction. And so that makes it seem a little bit noble, but we need to understand that orge, this wrath, can also be sinful when it arises from the wrong motives. So even when you have the right kind of anger, it is wrong when it comes from the wrong motives. When it lashes out because my personal honor is at stake, when it lashes out because the things I want are at stake, then friends, listen, it is sinful. When it lashes out because I deserve better than that, when it lashes out because you don't treat me as well as I should be treated, when it lashes out over my own personal benefit, and when it lashes out because of my own personal honor, then I want you to understand that it's sinful. This is the anger that we find here in verse 26. That's the kind of anger. It's this deep anger of conviction. It's the anger which characterizes the gentle and the meek man. Remember we talked about that several weeks ago. The anger which characterizes the gentle and the meek man whose anger is aroused by the sin of the cosmos or by the sin of this current order. He's angry over it. He's upset. His anger is aroused deeply in his heart when he sees sin crouching at the doorstep of his children. He becomes angry over that. It's the kind of anger that is aroused in our hearts when we see family members and we see members of our church falling into sin as Satan wants to rob them of the joy of their salvation. That's the kind of anger that wells up within us when that happens. We become angry when sin attacks the ones we love. We become angry when our loved ones fall to the temptations of the devil. That's the kind of anger that is acceptable. It's the settled anger that arises in us when the world makes a mockery of the things of God. That's the kind of anger that's acceptable. And this is the kind of anger that Paul commands us to have. That's the kind of anger that you should have. That's the kind of anger that you should be filled with. This is the righteous anger. It's the kind of anger that Jesus displayed as He cleared the temple of the money changers and the animal traders. It's the kind of anger that erupts in defense of God or in defense of other people. But listen, anger that is selfishly motivated, anger that is vengeful, Anger that is unforgiving has no place in the believer's life. Do you hear me? That kind of anger has no place in the believer's life. That's the kind of anger that you're supposed to put far away from us. But there's something really interesting I want to show you at the end of verse 26. If we could go to the last part of that verse, it says this, Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Isn't that interesting? Newlyweds will often hear that advice from people who have been married for a while, and I think it's probably great advice. In fact, as I was doing a little bit of digging, I found some research at Beijing Normal University, and it suggested that negative emotional memories, listen to this, negative emotional memories are harder to reverse after a night's sleep. Did you hear that? Negative emotional memories are harder to reverse after a night's sleep. The study suggested that during sleep, the brain reorganizes the way negative memories are stored, making these associations harder to suppress in the future. I don't know if that's true or not, but there certainly is something to say, something of value in Paul's statement that you should never let the sun go down on your anger. You see, anger, even if it's the righteous kind of anger, will likely grow and become more galvanized as it's prolonged. Do you see that? 
the longer we allow it to exist, the stronger and the more solid it becomes and, and it becomes galvanized as we allow it to be prolonged. And when that happens, friends, listen, the natural human tendency is to dig even more deeply, hoping to find even more ways to be offended. Did you hear that? It drives us to look for even more ways to be offended by the person with whom we are angry. And as the emotion of anger grows, there will germinate in the heart a desire to seek vengeance. There will germinate in the heart a desire to teach the violator a lesson. He can't do that to me. I will make this right. I will get even with him. There's no way he's getting away with that. I'm going to teach him a lesson. And when that happens, the heart enters into a new level of disobedience. And it faces the temptation to violate Paul's command. I want to show you in Romans chapter 12, it says this, Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with everyone. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it in, uh, leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him something to drink. For by doing so, you will heap burning coals onto his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Isn't that interesting? Don't repay evil for evil. You see, the longer I hold on to my anger, the longer I stew over it, the more I want to get even. And the harder it becomes for me to let it go. The longer I hold on to it, the harder it is for me to let it go. And if I continue to think about the ways I would like to get even with the person who has offended me, if I continue to hold on to that, it will be impossible for me to have peace with that person. I would never have peace in my heart toward that person. And that unforgiveness, I want you to know, puts me in jeopardy of losing the forgiveness that I so badly need from Jesus Christ, according to Matthew 6. And when that happens, I'm opening the door to Satan. Do you see that? What does it say in verse 27? Give no opportunity to the devil. Satan thrives. Satan thrives in an environment of anger and unforgiveness. Satan thrives in that kind of an environment. And if you continue to hold on to, if you continue to reflect on your anger, I want you to know that Satan's going to feed it for you. If you hold on to unforgiveness, Satan is going to feed that for you. If you continue to wallow in your self-pity, if you continue to wallow in your self-defense, Satan will feed that for you. All of those emotions, friends, are violations of God's will and of God's purpose for your lives, and they will put you into a position where you will perpetuate the sin of unrighteous anger in your life, and that's what will happen. And Satan will feed you. If you decide that you want to do that, he'll give you opportunity to do that. So if you are somebody who struggles with some form of unrighteous anger in your life, I want to give you some practical things that you can do to conquer the sin in your life. And so I'm going to give you, I don't know, about four or five steps that you can use. Here they are. Number one, first of all, you need to recognize that your anger is sinful and you need to repent. Friends, you have to take ownership of the fact that you are angry. You have to take ownership of it. You have to realize that it is an expression, in fact, I would say a sinful expression, of the act of your own free will. Your anger is an expression of the act of your own free will. No one is forcing you to become angry. Nobody forces you to do that, friends. You are doing it as a choice of your own free will. You are choosing to become angry. You are choosing to do it, and it is a sinful reaction to your circumstances. 
So you need to start by admitting that you're angry. You need to start by calling it sin, and you need to confess it, and you need to ask for forgiveness, friends. When you are really ready to deal with your anger, pray about it. And just tell God, look, God, I'm angry. I'm an angry person, especially when people are driving down the road in front of me 10 miles below the speed limit. It makes me angry, and I know that it's sinful. Have that conversation with God. Tell Him, I'm sorry for the thumos that is built up in my heart. I'm sorry that I let my anger erupt. I'm sorry that I hurt people around me because I become angry. I'm sorry for how my anger has grieved you, God. I'm sorry for how I've treated you. Please forgive me. Can you do that? Fill me with the power of your Holy Spirit so that I can overcome this kind of sin in my life. And then after you've prayed that, You need to go to those people whom you've harmed with your unrighteous anger. You need to go to those people, and to whatever extent is possible, you need to reconcile that relationship, and you need to make restitution for that. The next step, you need to be prepared to fight your desire to become angry. I want you to know that the world, your sinful nature, and even Satan himself do not want you to repent of anger. They want you to be angry. You can be sure that you will no sooner pray. You can be sure that you'll no sooner repent of your anger than someone will give you an opportunity to be mad. They will cut you off in traffic the very moment that you have asked forgiveness for that. The world is going to tell you that it's okay, and the world will probably even tell you that it's macho and that it's cool for you to be angry because this cosmos, this system, this order thinks that anger is a good thing. This world thinks that it's good. It applauds those people and it brags about those things that cause evil expressions of anger. But you are no longer part of this system. You are not to behave in the same manner as the people around you and the people of this system. You see, the problem is that it feels really good to be angry, doesn't it? When somebody has done something to make me mad, it feels really good for me to give expression to my rage. It feels really good to take something and just throw it across the room. It feels really good for me to shoot all kinds of obscenity out of my mouth when I'm angry. It just feels good to give expression to that, doesn't it? And you need to remind yourself, when you feel that desire beginning to rise up within you, you are the one who has to take control of it. You have to take control of it. And you have to remind yourself that you're no longer to allow yourself to have that type of expression to your anger because people of your position don't behave like that. And then you need to turn to the Holy Spirit for help because you're going to need it. Because you need to understand that Satan will tell you that you have a right to react with that kind of an angry reaction. Satan will tell you that you have a right to behave that way. You have a right to have an angry outburst when you've been wrong. You have a right to do that. That's what the world will tell you. That's what Satan will tell you. They can't treat you like that. Don't let them get away with that. You should really give them a piece of your mind, right? That's what you should do. That's what Satan will tell you. But I need you to understand that you must turn to the Holy Spirit. You must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit to help you overcome your angry outbursts. And if you're serious about overcoming anger, you have to commit yourself. You have to commit yourself to being in control of it. The next step is to read the Word. And certainly you would expect me to tell you that. But I want to be a little bit more specific with you. Read the Proverbs. Can I encourage you to read the Proverbs? If that's not part of your daily reading habit, 
I would encourage you to squeeze a proverb in every day. Sometimes in my own life, I will play an audio version of the book of Proverbs in the background in my office while I'm at work so that I can just, from time to time, I'll hear it and it'll register. Uh, you know, Solomon oftentimes told his son about the foolishness of losing his temper. Solomon often told his son about how bad it was for him to lose his temper. And so reading even one chapter of Proverbs every day will help you and it will help remind you of the foolishness of the free expression of your anger. And it will also remind you of the wisdom of learning to be self-controlled. So I would encourage you to spend some time in the Proverbs. Read a little bit. Step number four, get some sleep. Can I encourage you to do that? Do you know that as I was researching this, I found that one of the most commonly reported reasons that people become angry is because they are tired. You see that? <laughs> In real life every day, I'm telling you. Have you ever become angry and then you snapped at somebody and then you apologize and your apology sounded like this, I'm sorry. I just didn't get much sleep last night. Right? I didn't get much sleep last night. I'm sorry. Friends, fatigue is one of the greatest drivers of angry behavior. Did you know that? It's one of the greatest drivers of angry outbursts. Let me give you another one. Take some time to relax. Take a little time to relax. Stress is another one of the most commonly reported causes of anger. My calendar is probably no different than yours. It's completely filled up with activities. It's completely filled up with events. And it's so filled up with things that we never really find time to just sit down in the backyard under the shade of a tree and relax. And I think probably we need to be better at that, don't we? Our jobs, our families, our schoolwork, all of these things require so much of us that we rarely find time to just sit down and relax and to reflect on the goodness of God. Can I just encourage you to help you deal with your anger? Just steal a few moments away from time to time and just kick your feet up and relax. It's good for you. It's a good thing for you to do. So these are a few practical things that you can do in your own lives to help you deal with your tendencies toward anger. But there's one last thing that I want to share with you, and this may be the most important thing of the day. Up to this point, we've discussed your responsibility in getting your unrighteous anger under control. But there's another facet of this great truth that I don't think we talk about very often, and it's something that I think we absolutely need to consider. And so to do that, I'm going to take you to Mark chapter 9 and verse 42. And this is what Jesus said in Mark 9. He said, Whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. You know, the Bible tells us that you're not supposed to provoke one another to anger. It speaks specifically of fathers provoking their children to anger. But I want you to know that the same principle is implicit all through the pages of Scripture, and it has to be applied across every relationship within the whole entire body of Christ. It has to be applied across every relationship within your families. Listen, we're not to provoke one another to rage. We're not to push one another to rage. You're not to antagonize one another. We're not to incite one another to rage. You're not to incite one another to anger. You're not to incite that kind of rage in the heart of someone else. And when you do that, you're provoking them. You're inciting them to commit sin. Do you know that? When you push them and you needle them and you poke them, all you're doing is you're provoking them to commit this kind of sinful outburst. And you're provoking them to sin. 
And so what Jesus is doing here in Mark 9, this is important. Jesus is pronouncing a curse on those people who cause other people to sin like this. Do you see that? He says it would be better for you to be thrown into the sea with a huge rock fastened around your neck than the punishment that you are going to receive from God if you incite someone else to sin in this way. Sometimes in our sinful hearts, we we derive some form of joy. We derive some form of pleasure from antagonizing and inciting other people to commit sin. Big brothers and big sisters seem to have perfected this. It's an art, isn't it? In fact, I can remember as a young guy, I would spend summers at my cousin's house, and my cousin had a little brother whom we just loved to antagonize, and we loved to incite him to anger because it was funny to watch his outburst. And I can remember one time climbing up in a tree, and when his younger brother came along, he was standing there looking up into the tree, and big brother and I were throwing bark at him and trying to hit him in the face with bark as we were up in the tree. And he would tell us to stop, but we didn't stop. We just kept throwing bark at him and trying to hit him. You know, we're picking it off the trees and plucking him with it. And, and he asked us to stop, and we wouldn't stop. We just kept doing it and kept doing it and kept doing it until he reached the point where we actually drove him to shout out profanity and curse words at us. And then we jump out of the tree, we go run into the house, we tell mom what he said, and then we laugh as he's being punished. See, that's funny, isn't it? Can I just tell you? I was a kid too. Adults, I do the same thing as an adult. I don't climb trees and throw bark in the faces of little boys anymore. But I do the same thing at work. I do the same thing in my house. I wonder, do you do that as well? Do you have those things in your life? You see, Jesus says that the judgment that is going to fall on people who take pleasure and driving other people to sin is going to be so severe that a horrible drowning would be a relief to them. Each of us, I want you to know, is responsible for our own angry outbursts. We're each responsible for how we handle our own anger. Whether you were incited, whether you were pushed there through some deliberate form of antagonism, or whether you just got there because you're an intolerant person and because you're, there are certain behaviors that you just can't tolerate, I want you to know that you're responsible for your own anger. But on the other hand, if you're somebody who gets a kick out of forcing other people into a position where you drive them to sin, if you're somebody, on the other hand, who takes some form of pleasure in poking and prodding your little brothers and sisters, causing them to sin, if you're somebody who speaks or behaves in a way that drives your husband or wife to become angry and to just erupt in an outburst, if you're someone who refuses to prefer others above yourself and as a result you drive people to that kind of angry outburst, I want you to know the punishment for you is far greater. Father, I thank you for your kindness which leads us to repentance. I thank you that you care for us and that you love us and that you withhold your anger and you withhold your wrath toward us because of your love for Jesus Christ. And if there are people here this morning, Lord, who struggle with some form of unrighteous anger, I pray that in your kindness they would be led to repent of that sin even now. I pray, God, that we would have hearts that are soft and pliable, that are willing to be molded by You and formed by You and shaped by You. Lord, I pray that You would 
Give us compassion in our hearts. Make us a people who don't derive some form of joy from pushing people into sin. And God, help us to be the kind of people who don't react sinfully when we're pushed. I pray, God, that you would forgive us for the sin of our anger. And I pray, God, that you would fill our hearts with a passion to protect you and to protect your word and a passion to guard all things that are godly and that that would be the only anger that is present in our lives. We pray in Jesus' name.